Well, hello, everyone. My name is Jordan, and I'm one of the pastors here at Carney E. Free. So I, I want to explain my photo because this is um, an Easter egg, if you know what Easter eggs are. So back when we were doing online ministry, I was doing things to reward people for winning the games we would play. And so one of the weeks, I smashed eggs on my head. And so that, that's what that is. So I don't normally walk around with my homemade face shield that's reversed. Um, so my name is Jordan. Again, I work with middle school and high school students. Um, and I get to continue our Better Together series this morning. We're talking about how we're better together, especially in the context of our life groups. That as we form communities where we get to know each other and get to be known, we're better together. And so as we begin this morning, would you jump with me into the time machine and go back to 2007? So some of you go like, I wasn't born that's okay, I'll, I'll explain 2007 to you. But for most of us, you probably have some memory with 2007. For me, um, one of the things I was looking back, I, um, Apple, this little company called Apple, had just announced they were releasing this new revolutionary phone they're going to call the iPhone. I don't know if it's going to work out for them, but they were going to launch it. And then at the top of the movie box office charts was Spider-Man 3, the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man 3, not just like any old, we've had a lot of Spider-Mans, but this was the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man 3. Carrie Underwood had released Before He Cheats, and it was heating up the box office charts. And then there's two guys by the name of Tom Brady and Randy Moss who were tearing apart defenses on their way to probably one of the most disappointing Super Bowl losses of all time. That they were undefeated in the regular season, undefeated throughout the playoffs, and then they got to the Super Bowl and they just can't get past those pesky giants. Well, also in 2007, I walked into this church for the very first time. That I was a lonely college student, but I wasn't looking for a transformational community. I was looking for a place where I could punch my church attendance card, that I, I had grown up knowing church was important, but I really didn't want to be known. I didn't want that would want to know me and that would want to, that I could be known in. I, I just wanted to show up. I wanted to punch my church attendance box and I wanted God to get off my back for the rest of the week. But as I was coming to church, the more that I listened to the messages, the more I connected with the worship, the more I actually enjoyed church, the more I actually looked forward to Sundays rolling around. And the more that I enjoyed church, the more afraid I became. Because I had some sins in my past that I was worried about. If people found out about these, would they say, there's no room for you here, Jordan? Would they show me the door and say, there's probably another church in town you'd be better fit in? And not only did I have sins in my past, but I also had current sins I was struggling with at the time that I was concerned if they found out about those sins, would they show me the door? Would they say, you know, this is a place for people that have it all together. And so Sunday after Sunday, I would come and I would put this front up that said, I'm just like you. I have it all together. I don't have any big sins in my life. I haven't had any big sins in my past. I, I have it all together just like you. But there was this fear. And if they really got to know me, would they reject me and say, you know, I'm repulsed by you. I'm repulsed by your sin. I, I don't want you to go to church here. But the more I came to church here, the more that I realized this wasn't a church for people who had it all together. This was a church for people who didn't actually have it all together, but they didn't want to stay there. That anybody was welcome wherever they were at to come, but the people in this church loved them too much and God loved them too much to leave them there. That they wanted to see the Holy Spirit 
get implanted into their life through trust and faith in Jesus and to see that Holy Spirit grow their obedience and their ability to reflect the love and kindness and goodness of Jesus. And so the more that I came here, the more I realized I didn't really need to have this front up because God was good and he was going to accept me and so were the people here. And so this morning what I want to talk about is how we are better together when we embrace the gospel and we choose vulnerability over fear. That we as a church community, we in our life groups are better together when we embrace and live out the gospel and we choose to be vulnerable about who we used to be and who we are and we don't give in to fear. So we're going to look at the Apostle Paul because the Apostle Paul does a fantastic job of displaying this in his own life. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. So Timothy is in the New Testament. It's towards the back of your Bible. And I'm just going to be honest with you. I use the flip method to find it, that I just slowly flip through. And then 1 Timothy pops up. If you get to Hebrews, you flipped too far. Go back to the thicker part. You will find 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 14 is where we're going to be. And so Timothy, uh, sorry, not Timothy, Paul is a church planter, and he's a missionary, and he is a mentor to other pastors. And so he is planting churches, and he's um, writing letters to those churches, encouraging them to grow in their faith. And he's also writing letters to younger pastors, and he's wanting them to grow in their leadership. And so Timothy is a younger pastor that Paul is writing to, and he says this to Timothy in verse 12. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So Paul says that he gives thanks to Jesus. He gives thanks for three reasons. Reason number one is that Jesus strengthens him. So he says, I'm thankful that Jesus was willing to strengthen me to share the gospel, willing to strengthen me to carry out this ministry that he's given me to do. But then there's a second reason that he is thankful the second reason is that Jesus considered him trustworthy, considered him trustworthy to carry out this ministry. He didn't just strengthen him for it, but he's considered him trustworthy to do it. And then the third thing is that he appointed him to service. He appointed him to serve the local church, but also to serve God by planting these churches, by sharing the gospel, by going and becoming a missionary. So he's strengthened, he's considered trustworthy, and then he is set apart to serve. He's appointed to serve. Now, you read all those things, and you think, man, Paul must have it all together. Like, he must have grown up in the church, and he has a squeaky clean past where he got everything right. And he did it from the beginning, he was doing it right. But Paul goes, right on, goes on right from there to say, he strengthened me, he considered me trustworthy, and he appointed me to service, even though, even though I once was a blasphemer. That Paul would see moments where God was clearly at work. God was clearly doing something, and he would say, that's not God. That what these Christians are doing, that's not God. God's not doing that. And he would blaspheme God's name and say, no, 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 no. That's not what God's doing. God's not converting Jews to Christianity. He's not doing that. So he blasphemed. But he didn't just stop at blasphemy. He became a persecutor. 
And so he was actively trying to stomp out the church. So God is trying to grow this church. He's trying to convert new believers to trust and believe in Jesus Christ. And Paul is running around trying to stomp out these churches. That he does not want these churches to exist, but he wants to crush them. So he's persecuting the church. And he doesn't just persecute them verbally. He says, I was a violent man. That he persecuted with violence. That he actively and physically tried to squash the church through violence. That he would arrest and mistreat Christians. That he approved of their executions. That he is a violent man. Now, he says... I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. That even though he was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, he was shown mercy because of his unbelief and because of his ignorance. Then he says in verse 14, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. It says that I received grace and abundance that it wasn't just a little bit of grace. It wasn't just enough amount of grace. It was an abundant amount. When I think about this word abundantly, I think about when I take my allergy medicine. So if you're like my family right now, we have a lot of allergies at our house. And so I've been taking an allergy pill in the morning. But when I take my allergy pill, I just like cover the bottom of the glass. Like I don't fill the glass up. I just need a gulp. Like all I need is to get the pill down. And so I just have this gulp of water. Now Paul wasn't saying he got a gulp of grace. He didn't say, I just got a swig. I just got enough to get salvation down. He says, I got an abundant amount. That I put the glass under the faucet and it was pouring out over the sides. That it was overflowing. It's an abundant amount of grace that Paul received. And it's an abundant amount of grace that you and I receive when we trust and believe in Jesus. Jesus doesn't just give us enough to barely, barely cover us. He gives us an abundant, overflowing amount of grace. And Paul says, along with that, he received faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. That this is an incredible gift that God would give to a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. Then he goes on in verse 15 and he says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. So Paul is saying, I am the worst of sinners. And yet God was willing to show grace and mercy to me. And the reason he was showing grace and mercy to me was because he wanted to use me as an example. He wanted to use my past, use my life as an example of how willing he was to forgive how willing he was to save, how willing he was to show an abundant amount of mercy to people. And so he set me aside, he considered me trustworthy, and he strengthened me so that I could be this example to the world. So when people looked at me, they would say, well, if God is willing to forgive, if God is willing to rescue, if God is willing to save Paul, how much more is he going to be willing to save me? How much more is he going to be willing to rescue me? And so what we see from this first section of Paul's life in 1 Timothy, is that community is formed when we embrace the gospel and choose to be vulnerable about who we used to be. That we need to embrace the gospel. It's not just saying, oh, we're just going to forget about what happened in the past. 
but we embrace the gospel and trust in faith that the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is sufficient to cover whatever we've done in the past. That when we look at Paul's life, the worst of sinners, that God was willing to rescue and redeem him, willing to save him, willing to rescue him when he embraced the gospel. And so as we embrace the gospel, we can choose to be vulnerable about who we used to be. We are no longer identified by what we used to do. We are no longer just the past sins that we had. We are more than that now because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Now, at the same moment, we don't have to glorify our sin. That Paul doesn't get into the details. He doesn't say, well, let me tell you about this time where I was violent towards this people in this church. He doesn't do that. He doesn't say, well, let me tell you about this moment I was blaspheming God. He doesn't do that. He says, but I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. I was a violent man, and he leaves it at that. He says, that's what you need to know. And so we don't glorify our sin. We don't go, let me tell you about this time when I was in college and this is what I was doing. Let me tell you about this party. Let me tell you about this situation or that situation. We don't need to do that. But what we can say is there was a time my life was consumed by alcohol. There was a, life, there was a time my life was consumed by pleasure. There was a life, my time my life was consumed by drugs or my life was consumed by greed or was consumed by selfishness or was consumed by me building my kingdom. And the amazing thing is when we are willing to be vulnerable about who we used to be, there's people in this room and people in our life groups that they might have a front up, that they're hiding behind wondering, if I told you who I really am, would you accept me? If I told you what I've done in my past, would you accept me? And when someone in their life group says, hey, my life used to be consumed by alcohol, that when I was in college, it revolved around that. And this person has got this front up that they've been trying to pretend that I have it all together like the rest of you. And then you find out, wait a minute, this person in my life group, they also were consumed by this thing that I was consumed by in the past and no one's kicking them out? Then the front begins to come down and they say, hey, that, that was my story too. And people get to be known for who they totally and completely are and not just the parts they want to put forward. And community is formed. And so again, community is formed when we embrace the gospel and choose to be vulnerable about who we used to be. But we don't just have to be vulnerable about who we used to be, we can be vulnerable about who we are now. So Paul goes on in Romans 7. So if you flip with me, because we're going to spend the rest of our time in Romans 7 and 8. So Romans 7 is to the left of Timothy. So if you get to Acts, you went a little bit too far, go back to the right, you'll find Romans. But it's just past Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. So Romans 7, verse 19, Paul says, For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. So Paul is talking and he's saying, okay, so over here is the good that I want to do, and I find it really difficult to do this good. And over here is the evil I do not want to do, and I don't want to do it, but I keep doing it. Now, in my life, this has been absolutely true. It was 100% true when I was not a Christian, and that throughout my life, what I was seeing is when I wanted to do good, I'd always at the last minute find an excuse not to do it. And then there'd be evil that I would not want to do, and I would be angry and frustrated that I was doing it, but I couldn't stop doing it. And I was trapped. 
and I was enslaved to this sin. And I could not break free from it. And this was my life. And maybe you were like me, and that was your life before Jesus. And then I met Jesus. And then when I met Jesus, and I put my trust and my faith in him, and I turned away from my sin and repentance, I began to have victory. The Holy Spirit came into my life and began to shape and mold me into a new person where I was able to do some of the good that I wanted to do. And some of the evil I wanted to stop doing, I was able to stop doing it. But even to this day, I can tell you right now that I can tell you, so after this, pretend I go to Walmart and someone comes up to me in Walmart and they start yelling at me in Walmart for whatever reason. It's Walmart. And they're yelling at me. Like, I can tell you right now on the stage, I would like to respond to them with grace and mercy. I'd be like, I'll pray for you. And then I'm going to leave, and the rest of the day, I'm just going to pray for them. That's what I would like to tell you right now I would do, that I would pray for them as they were persecuting me or whatever they're doing. But in reality, I think there's many times that my response, at least on the inside, on the outside, by God's grace, I might be able to not respond to them, but on the inside, I'm going to spend the rest of the day going, man, I should have said this. When they were screaming, I should have said this to them, and then all of Walmart would have been like, whoa! It's like what I should have done. Because I still have this evil in me. And I try to fight against it. And there are days that by the power of the Holy Spirit, I find victory. But there are days when you poke me, or you prod me, or you get me in the wrong moment, and what you're going to find is that there's still work for God to do in me. And so community is formed when we embrace the gospel and we choose to be vulnerable about who we are. That is not beneficial when we try to pretend that we have it all together all the time. Because we set this invisible standard that people don't really, we don't really want people to live up to, but we act like we always have it together. And so people feel like, I always have it together. And so then when I have this moment when evil comes out of me, I go, man, I got to hide it. I got to suppress it. I can't let anybody see it. And so then we get to the end of our life groups and we have prayer requests. And what I need to say is, hey, I have this thing that I saw come out of me this week. Would you pray that God would deal with that? But instead, I got to have it all together. So I go, you know, would you just pray for me to just pray more? Like, I really just need to pray more. Would you pray for that? Or would you, like, that's good. Like, I'm for prayer. Like, I'm pro-prayer. I want to be on the record right now as pro-prayer. But, man, there's sometimes when we have these deep sins going on, and we know that they're there, but we don't want to reveal them to anybody else because we're afraid. If I say, I have this struggle right now, we're going to be shown the door. And community that transforms and changes, the community we long for in our hearts, it comes when people are willing to say, I have this thing in me that I see, and I don't like it. And I'm going to reveal that to you. And as I reveal that to you, great community embraces the gospel and extends it to those people in that moment. And says, this is the great news. You are no longer your sin because Jesus Christ died on a cross for you. And so you are more than your sin. Whether it's a past sin or a present sin or a future sin, you are more than your sin because Jesus died for you and he set you free from that. And there are times that I need to hear that because I forget it. There are times that people in our life groups, they need to hear it because they need to be reminded you're not going to be cast to the side because you don't have it all together. And so community is formed when we embrace the gospel and choose to be vulnerable about who we are. So Paul in Romans 8, he goes on in verse 1. So 8 verse 1, you may have to turn a page, you may not. It says, therefore, 
There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. That we've been set free from the law of sin and death if we have been, if we have been united with Christ through faith. It says, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So the very first thing, the most important thing he says is, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That if you are in this room or you are in the venue or you are watching online and you are in Christ Jesus, you put your trust and your faith in Jesus, you've turned away from your sin to the best of your ability, you are trying to follow Jesus, there is no condemnation for you. And that is good news that I need to hear because there are days where I, I struggle with the evil that is still something that I'm trying to fight against and there are days when I feel condemned. And my guess is there are days you feel condemned. And you need someone to embrace the gospel and to remind you that you are more than your sin because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. Do you need to be reminded that there is victory for you because of the Holy Spirit coming into your life? You need to be reminded that God does not look at you based on your sin. He looks at you based on Jesus. And so what people need to see is that God is not going to condemn them and we won't either. And then Paul goes on and he explains how this condemnation is available, how this freedom from condemnation is available to us. Because Jesus Christ did what we could not do on our own. That Jesus Christ came in the likeness of humanity so he could fulfill the law on our behalf so that the Holy Spirit can come into our lives and set us free. And so in this room, there are three groups of people. And in the venue and online, there are three groups of people. The first group are those that are still trapped in their sin. That when I talk about not being able to do the good you want to do and being stuck in doing the evil you, want, you don't want to do, you go, that's my life. That's where I'm at. And the reality is, apart from Jesus Christ entering into your life through trust and faith, you will remain stuck. And so there is no better day, no better moment than right now to say, Jesus, would you rescue me, a sinner? that I'm so tired of trying to do good apart from you. I'm, I'm so tired of trying to break evil apart from you. Would you rescue me? And then I believe that you would throw yourself on his mercy. If you would admit that you're in need of his grace, in need of his help, that you would find freedom and rescue today. That there'd be some things that would instantly get better and some things that would take a long series of time to get better. And unfortunately, we don't get to choose which is which but you will find some freedom today. But then there's a second group of people. The second group of people are the people that have put that trust and faith. They've experienced some freedom, but they are learning how to live life out of the spirit. They're learning how do I live based on this new spirit that empowers me to obey God, that empowers me to follow his commands, how it changes and transforms me. How do I do that? But again, we put up this front that says, I don't want people to know I don't know how to do that. And so I just kind of pretend like I do when I go to life group. Instead of saying, well, how do I, how do I fight this sin? And when someone is real and says, this is the sin struggle I have right now, God does this incredible thing. 
where so many times you'll find out that the sin struggle you have right now, somebody in your group is a little further down the road, they had that in the past. And they can say, let me tell you how the gospel applies to this. Let me tell you how Jesus frees you from this. Let me tell you how through maybe memorizing scripture or through praying together or through inviting God into the situation, you can find victory and freedom from this. And then the third group are those that are further along in the spirit. They're further along in living life out of the spirit. They know how to apply it to some areas. They're still growing in how to apply it to all the areas, but they have it figured out in some of the areas. And so they get to turn around and help those that are behind. So this idea of forming community where people can be real and honest, they don't have to put up a front, and forming communities that embrace the gospel, this is incredibly important. And if we get it right, it's gonna, it's gonna form transformational communities, and if we get it wrong, there's gonna be consequences. So my experience was that as I continued to, to come into this, uh, to this church to get more involved, I felt more and more uh, safe to be vulnerable with people. But unfortunately, I was involved in a situation where that didn't happen. So I was um, part of a life group in college, and there's some things that had happened, and there was a group of college guys that I was, I was very angry with. And there was one night in our life group where I was being very self-righteous, and I was frustrated with what these group of guys had done to this group of college girls, and I was being vengeful, and I was being self-righteous, and there was no grace, there was no mercy, there was no gospel. It was me embracing self-righteousness and wrath, and I poured it out during our life group. And when I got done with all my self-righteousness, there was this guy in our group who was crying. And with tears in his eyes, he said, I'm one of the people you hate. I'm one of the people who is guilty of doing what you're so mad about, what you're so angry about, and you hate me. And I tried to backtrack. I, I tried to go back to the gospel and say, I, I'm sorry, you know, I, I missed it. The, the gospel is big enough for you. I can extend, we can extend it to you. It's, it's for you as well. I'm sorry that I missed it for you. But the damage had been done. That he, he had seen my self-righteousness. He had seen that he wasn't welcome here and he wasn't safe here. And his belief was not only was he not welcome here, but that I actively hated him because of his sin. And I didn't know in that moment that he had put this front up. I didn't know that he was hiding behind this idea of, I'm just like you, and I have it all together just like you. And, if, and so I thought I was safe to be self-righteous. I was safe to condemn those people as them because I was right. And I had forgotten the gospel in that moment because the gospel is that all of us are sinners. All of us have fallen short. All of us are in need of God's grace and mercy. And I was wrong to rank their sins over mine. And it had a cost. Because he walked out of our life group that night and I never saw him again. That I've tried to find him, I've tried to apologize, I've tried to apply the gospel. And my hope, my, my hope is that God's continued to pursue him and there is somebody who embraced the gospel better than I did on that night. And there's someone who displayed it better for him. And he's found community and he's found salvation and he's found renewal and redemption through another community. But it matters because there are people in this room 
who for me, it was 2007 when I walked in with this front that said, I have it all together, but really I want to know, am I safe here? But for some of us, there's probably today that you're here wondering, is this a safe place for me? And all my baggage and all the struggles I have, is this a safe place? And I long for this to be a community, and I I think that it is. But as we grow and becoming more and more transparent and embracing the gospel and being more vulnerable about who we are and who we used to be, I believe this will be, continue to become an even more safe and safe place for people to, lay, to take down their guard and to remove their fronts and say, this is who I am. And that's why I believe we're better together when we embrace the gospel and we choose vulnerability over fear. That we are better together when we embrace the gospel and we choose vulnerability over fear. We choose to be vulnerable about who we are and who we were And we embrace the gospel and we extend it towards each other and towards ourselves. So maybe you're here this morning and this just resonates with you. And you're going, I want to be involved in this kind of community. And if you're not involved in a life group, I hope this is going to be lived out to its fullest. I invite you to go to the Better Together booth out in the main hallway. Or if you're online, you can just type in the chat and say, hey, Aaron, I'm interested in joining a life group and we will get you connected that we would love for you to find community like this here at E-Free. If you're someone that resonates with you and you go, I want to lead this kind of community. I don't want to just hope to find it. I want to lead this. I want to lead the charge in extending the gospel to others. I want to lead the charge in being vulnerable about my past sins, about where I'm at right now. Then go to the Better Together booth and say, I'm interested in leading a life group. I'm interested in helping this kind of community be formed. So community is formed when we embrace the gospel and we're real about who we used to be and who we are and we choose to be vulnerable instead of being afraid. When we choose vulnerability over fear. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you for your grace and your mercy. God, I thank you that you extend it to us in such a powerful way. God, I thank you that you know what it was like to be human, that you came and you put on humanity, and you dwell among us. And God, you lived with us. And God, I thank you that you you made a way for us to not be not be consumed by sin, but to be free from sin. To not be controlled by sin, but be free from it. To not have to find our identity in the mistakes we've made in the past and the sins we've committed in the past, but instead to find our identity that we are beloved children, that we are adopted and loved, sons and daughters set free, that are no, long, no longer have our sins held against us. We are not condemned, but we are loved and we experience the abundant grace and mercy of your goodness. God, we love you. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We pray this all in his name. Amen.